All right, we are back and we are live. Yet another segment of Beaver Dam. Tons of shit to break down. As always, Johnny's here. How you doing, man? I'm doing better than your fantasy team, man. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when you uh, when you make a stupid trade and it finally goes through and your entire world crumbles from that point on, I guess you got no one to blame but yourself, which is me. So for those of you who didn't listen to our segment on our draft, I traded Russell Wilson for Drew Brees and Rojo because I was in desperate need of a running back. And so far, it has not worked out to my advantage. That's for fuck sure, because now Breeze doesn't have his number one weapon. He didn't really look too good against Tampa. And, uh, you know, Rojo is still, I guess, the best running back I got now that Bell has just decided to say fuck it. I don't know, man. Fantasy, I don't, I don't count my chickens before week three anyway, so we'll see what happens this week. But, I, you know. Sticking with that topic, I guess Godwin says he's not playing now, so there goes one of my other receivers. It's just <laughs> you know, it's fucking pours. <laughs> well, listen, you know what? Get all the bad stuff out of the way, and week one, week two, like it is what it is. Like you, usually uh, you and I, I think we've been doing fantasy now. It's been uh, wow, like over fifteen years together, and I think that we've only had like two, maybe three trades. Like you usually keep your. Uh, your card's pretty close to the vest. And, uh, yeah, you usually, like, stick with, you know, the team that you drafted. And then you usually make good use of the uh, the waiver wire. So I was quite surprised when I uh, when I uh, presented that trade offer to you, knowing full well that you could have used some running back depth, uh, too, as well. And, listen, it's, it's paid off for me so far. And then I was able to go and grab Robbie Anderson off of waivers. So I had a nice little stash there. So I'm very happy with my uh, fantasy football team going into, you know, this week uh, minus the game last night against uh, the, the Cleveland Browns, Zach, our good buddy Zach, over on the other side of the planet right now, he has Nick Chubb. So nice, uh, 21 points in my mouth right there. So it's making things interesting going into this weekend. But uh, we all know how fantasy goes, ups, downs, sides to sides, and you just got to take it one week at a time. That's it. That's it. And, you know, football's officially underway. Week two is officially underway. But before we get to the field, um, let's let's – do a recap, I guess, and catch up on what the hell's happened with hockey, man. I mean, we have uh, we have our our dance partners for the show here, and it looks like we're gonna square off. The stars and the lightning are going toe to toe for the cup. Uh, let's start out west, man. How the hell did the stars, you know, completely botch our prediction and you know prove that we absolutely know nothing? Um, how the fuck did they beat a team like Vegas? Well, it's kind of been the MO of Dallas throughout this, you know, entire adapted format, uh, playoff format that we have seen, uh, you know, like going, going as far back as the Calgary series. Like here was a, here was a team that like pretty much like tied the game, uh, when facing elimination or something with, you know, a few minutes left in the third period. And then they were able to, you know, um, spark a victory in overtime and, you know, in, increase their chances to survive to go forward. So. They really haven't deviated from their game plan. Uh, I think that what you have seen is, you know, it's, first and foremost, like great goaltending from, uh, from Pudovin as well. Like he has definitely been their rock, the uh, defensive side, you know, doing the job. And just like what we have seen, like from the Islanders and, and a lot of other teams within this playoff format, a lot of lockdown, grinding defensive hockey. It's been 
and it hasn't been as exciting as uh, as the hockey that you would expect and everything, especially since the playoffs started where you had a lot of great games and a lot of good flow. But it seems that the teams are starting to slow it down and stick to the fundamentals and not take any risks. And we saw this not just in this series against Vegas, but also in the other series that we're going to be covering Tampa Bay and the New York Islanders too as well. So it really comes down to playing that mistake-free hockey, trying not to expose yourself too much. And and listen, like Dallas just took advantage of the situations and the opportunities that were, that were presented to them. And you really can't say the same for Vegas, even though Vegas really didn't play a bad series uh, collectively. But it's just, yeah, it was just, uh, they just couldn't get it done, unfortunately. And you can put the blame on coaching. You can put the, uh, the blame on, you know, some of their game-breaking forwards like Max Pacioretty. You know, like the guys that are paid to show up did not. And the guys that, that that get paid over in Dallas did, and that's pretty much the difference maker in my opinion. What about you? I th- I agree. I think that uh, Vegas blew an opportunity. Uh, they were riding the hot goaltender. They had everything to their advantage, and you know, don't forget, both of these teams blew three one series leads before heading into the Western Conference Finals. So I think in that particular case, maybe a team like Vegas just ran out of gas trying to survive in that scenario. And I think that maybe Dallas took advantage of their grit, their grinding mentality, um, the fact that they were trying to, you know, once again, just say, fuck it and go out and play hockey. Who knows what's going to make, you know, where it's going to end up. And it, it landed them in the Stanley Cup final. Um, I agree that Vegas, you know, the point to point the finger, I don't know about coaching. I think coaching decisions were pretty, pretty rock solid, especially on that whole goaltending scenario. I mean, he rode. He rode, he rode Laner to, to the end, and I would have done the same thing. He was still the hot goaltender. Um, but when you can't put the puck in the net and you can't take advantage of five-on-threes and, and power play opportunities, and, you know, obviously with overtime, the puck could bounce any way, any which way. I mean, you know, look, man, it's, it's, it's a roll of the dice, and, you know, if your superstars can't put the puck in the net and your grinders can't step up to slow the momentum, that's how a team like Dallas gets through, and that's, that's what we saw. Um, as far as it being the non-traditional, boring, quote-unquote, type of hockey, I gotta completely disagree with you, man. I think that the way, you know, the way that these playoffs have shaped up with overtime games and overtime victories and series clinching, um, overtime games in both conference finals, I think this is as exciting in hockey as you can get. Not, not necessarily, you know, suggesting that a seven to six game isn't necessarily at the seat of your, at the, at the edge of your seat as well. But I think you and I and, and any respective hockey, hockey fan out there would look at this and say, you know, these are two teams that are trying to stick to fundamentals, capitalizing on, on mistakes. Uh, Vegas lost that series because they took what? A, a stupid penalty and, and Dallas scored in the, in, in overtime on the power play. I mean, you know, that guy must feel like two inches tall at that point. Let me interject there. Uh, like if we're just going to be hinging the loss on. Uh, the delay of game penalty. Well, you also got to trace back throughout the course of the game where they did have the lead and they gave it up. So it's in a situation like this where it is the rule. I know that some of the old farts out there, like your Don Cherries and everything like that, have an issue where the Western Conference final was quote unquote decided by a delay of game penalty, whether it was on purpose or it wasn't. The rule is the rule. And the rule is this the rule. rule. I know, and that was implemented in place because if you remember back in the day, whenever these guys were stuck in their own zone, they couldn't change or anything like that. They would just rifle it into the stands just to get the whistle so that they can get in some fresh legs. So it's all about keep. 
I, I'm with you. And forget about a guy like Don Cherry and all this other shit. Look, they, they made that rule in football, too. If you're injured within the last two minutes and you're on defense, you, you, you what do you lose a timeout or something? You know, timeout and, or uh, it's another penalty or something, and then you lose a few yards or something like that. But well, it's if, all if about on offense. If you're on offense, it's a 10 second runoff. Like they, they, they put these rules in place because guys are trying to milk the system. And I agree with the rule. And I'm not suggesting that they lost the entire series on the, on that particular playoff. Uh, sorry, on that particular power play. Look. They were still down three games to one. So this was not a, you know, we lost the entire series on that one play. But all I'm saying is, is that that series ended on that play. And, you know, is it the deciding factor on why they lost the entire series? Absolutely not. But I'll tell you this, that it's just an accumulation of all of those problems. And, you know, when he took the penalty, he got, he went in the, you knew that if the series ended like this, he was, you know, he was going to put the blame on himself. And you could see it in his face after the goal went in. Um, but look, again, tip of the cap to Dallas and everything that they've done in this little bubble tournament, man. They've flown under the radar. They beat some really good teams. They've stepped up in scenarios where they needed to step up. They almost blew it a couple times, but they fucking closed the door in, in, in the last series. They came into a, a series with a powerhouse team like Vegas who was on fire with the hottest goaltender in the tournament and shut them out. They literally shut the door in their face, man. So now they face a team. In, 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 now they face a team in the, in the Tampa Bay Lightning. And let's break this one down because we both had our, our, our eyes set on New York and the grit style that they were bringing similar to a team like Dallas, but I, I guess at a different level. They walked into a hornet's nest of extremely powerful offense, hot goaltending, and a team that looked unbelievable from top to bottom. And if this series did not go, um, if this series did go six games, I mean, shit, dude. These guys were putting firepower left, right, and center all over that ice. I think Tampa was the better team throughout the course of the entire series. I think New York deserves to go home, um, much to the sheer grin of a lot of people, because a lot of people were very excited to see a team like that get back this far into the playoffs. But I think Tampa deserved it, man. And I think that you're right. They still have a chip on their shoulder from last year. Last year was the year they were supposed to do, you know, be where they're at, and they didn't do it. So now they're bringing a lot of momentum heading into the Stanley Cup final. What's your take on that series? Well, what I echo that sentiment too, as far as like Tampa Bay just being from top to bottom, firing on all cylinders, and yeah, we're actually seeing it on full display. Tampa uh, this uh, this year during these playoffs, playing with that that uh, with that chip on their shoulder, the fact that they do have something to prove, le- legitimately that they do. But I also I think that the Islanders were just a victim of circumstance. And the fact is, is that they were holding the cards in the previous series against Philadelphia and they couldn't close it out early. So I strongly believe that we would probably be looking at a game seven if the Islanders were able to wrap up the Flyers in five like we had predicted. And I believe that those two extra games paired with the travel from the Toronto bubble into the Edmonton bubble and then playing the day after really it took them a lot of it took them a lot to just get back into that series afterwards because of the general fatigue and it was a hard series against Philly I just I honestly believe that the Islanders were able to wrap that up early and then you know what get some much needed rest and either play the series inside the Toronto bubble and forego the uh, whole travel scenario but that didn't come to pass so that's on the Islanders they had every opportunity to you know wrap up the series against uh, the Flyers of course there were some games where ah, you can make the question about that 
but whatever. It is what it is. This is what happens in the playoffs, and you need to be ready to face uh, whatever parameters are faced um, within a given situation. So now, yeah, like very impressed with with Tampa Bay, the fact that they were able to go toe-to-toe with the Islanders, especially in the grit game and especially in digging in the corners and just playing with the fundamentals too as well. Very impressed how they were able just to roll the four lines and also with their defensive court together. Sergachev is really coming along. Uh, the young defenseman, and I believe he is uh, paired up with um, – he, he's not playing with McDonough, right? He's playing with Shattenkirk? Yeah. Have, um, yeah, exactly. So, you know what, dude? Like, they're rolling with great defense. They're rolling with Vasilevsky right now is on point. Like, all the credit in the world goes to the Islanders. Like, they – man, they played their little hearts out. And once again, it went into another overtime again. So, they pushed it to as far as they could have. Uh, but I think it was just a simple case of getting down early – uh, not being afforded the um, opportunities like they were afforded in the Philadelphia series because uh, because Tampa, play, uh, Tampa has a very, very good hockey culture going on right now, and they make very few if little mistakes within the game for a team to take advantage of. So it was just, as you had said, the better team won at the end of the day. They were well-rested. They were able to uh, take their time, play their style of game, control the flow of the game, and now, all right, they punched their ticket to the Stanley Cup final against, uh, hey, a uh, uh, Dallas Stars team that came out of nowhere, uh, for, for lack of a better term. But, you know, very happy for a collection of guys, most notably uh, Rick Bonus, who's been uh, a lifer in the NHL for a long time. So it's, uh, let, let, let's see, uh, let's see what, the, uh, what the Stanley Cup final has in store for us starting tomorrow night. Yeah, we'll see, man. And I'm with you. I, I think you bring up a good point, and we touched on this a few different times, but – you know, moving the series to Edmonton was definitely going to have its own its impact on a team like New York, who was just coming off a seven game set, blowing a three one lead. And Tampa had 10 days off. So, you know, uh, rink rust or rest. That's always the debate in the playoffs. Right. So now we got to see it in a sense that, you know, not only are you playing, uh, you know, the next night, but you're playing across the country. So it, it really got the best of New York in a blink of an eye. I mean, Tampa came out like a bat out of hell that first game. You know, they caught they caught the Islanders with their pants down. And, you know, are they going to be able to repeat that against a team like Dallas? Uh, you know, I, I guess we'll wait and see. But I, if, if I had to give the edge to offense, I think Tampa has the edge. If I had to give the edge to goaltending, I'd say Tampa has the edge. If I had to give the edge to heart, I'd say Dallas has that at this point. But that can shift from series to series, from game to game, from period to period. Um, my prediction is Tampa, but once again, we've proven I know nothing. Um, so we'll see how everything plays out, man. I'm, I'm, I, I'd like to see more uh, consistent gameplay from a guy like McDonough. I think the guy is very talented, whether he's hurt or not, but the guy hasn't been playing that well. And, you know, he gets involved in certain offensive scenarios, which obviously add, add credibility to his game. But I'd like to see him step up defensively, especially against a team that likes to crowd the slot and really cause havoc for the goaltender. Um, and I think that's what Dallas brings. And they get those, they get those garbage goals, man. And then they sit back on their heels and they, they, they press you forward towards neutral ice. That's their game. And we'll see how it all plays out. Very frustrating to play against. You can, you, you saw it in the, in the Vegas series. It's just like, oh man, again, you know, when, when you have guys that are making shots and they're not going in and they're looking up at the heavens, looking for, any kind of sign from above, you know that it's not, it's, it's weighing on your brain. It's weighing on your soul too, as well. And yeah, you, you've seen that. It's just extremely frustrating to play against this Dallas Stars team where, yeah, like that's it. They'll just sit, sit back on their heels, wait for an opportunity, strike, and then just lock it down afterwards. 
Uh, can they continue to do that? Well, yeah, I think they can in a lot of ways because, you know what, the shoe's on the other foot now when we were talking about, you know, Tampa Bay having all that rest against the Islanders. Well, you know, Dallas and their fans and their players are just sitting back and watching the Islanders and Tampa Bay go toe-to-toe, go to a two-overtime, and then uh, last evening, another overtime. So they played like a full other game. It's like they already had like a seven-game series, more or less. So will Dallas be able to take advantage of that? They got some much-needed rest, and now they're ready to rock starting uh, starting tomorrow night in Edmonton. So, yeah, like uh, Tampa's going to be jumping right into this series, a similar-style opponent, similar-style coaching. Uh, I don't know if they need to deviate too much uh, as far as their game plan is concerned and just, like, getting accustomed to, you know, the players on the other side and their tendencies and so on and so forth. So I would not be surprised if Dallas pulls off game one. You know, taking into account the fatigue, the, uh, the 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 whole thing where Dallas has you know got some much needed rest and they're they're riding high right now. Once again, you know what? We're a couple of clowns and we don't know what the hell's going on. So you're taking Tampa. I'm going to take Dallas. That's it. I'm taking hey, Dallas in six games. It's a safe bet. I I really tried like hell to not use the term puck luck on their victory against against Vegas, but. You know, to an extent, we, we, we've established this before. You need a sense of luck to get through the Stanley Cup playoffs. And this is a team that, that was able to ride that luck and capitalize when they, when they had to. And, you know, I, I, I don't know what this series has in store, but as you were saying that last bit, I thought of something very specific. I think Dallas is a team that doesn't change their game plan. I think they stick to their own game plan. And I think Tampa is a team that would have to adjust to a particular game plan because they have so much talent and they need to utilize that talent against their opponent. That literally might be the difference maker. Dallas sticks to their game. They might pull it out. And Tampa might need some time to adjust, but they are a very similar team to New York. And um, I think that they they it's going to be really interesting to see who strikes first and what impact that has on the series. I don't know if the, the, the victor of game one or game two, for that matter, is really going to define how this series plays out. If Tampa scores 13 goals tomorrow night and, you know, I wouldn't say that it's a lock for them to win the series. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, listen, you know what? It's it's a best of seven for a reason. So, like, listen, you can shit the bet in game one and then come back and put your best efforts. Uh, in game two and then whatever happens if you're staring at a one-to-one afterwards then you're looking at a best of five so we we all know what it is it's just you know what this entire playoffs has been unique yet weird yeah we think that it's trending in one direction but then it goes in a completely opposite direction as well so like yeah you, you talk about the puck luck and I feel that when 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 the puck luck is on your side you play with a certain amount of confidence in the sense that, well, you know what? We feel that the good vibrations and the hockey gods are on our side. So no matter what, it's like we're going to continue sticking with our game plan. And then, yeah, hopefully something uh, something good will come out of it afterwards. But uh, exactly, but you can't have, you know, playing with confidence, but then playing with arrogance. You know, there's a fine line between that. So puck luck is good. It's nice to have that feather in your cap. But, of course, it comes down to the skill and the will and the heart at the end of the day. And you know what? Dallas has been showing a lot of that. But if you want to talk about the far superior team as far as personnel, I completely agree with your, with you and with uh, the experts. Tampa should win this game. But should doesn't necessarily mean 100% accuracy that that's what's going to end up happening. The game is played on the ice. you got to take it one shift at a time. And, of course, you know, referees, they play a factor. The human element 
as well. So it's uh, we all know that it comes down to the fundamentals, Mike, at the end of the day. Can you play good, solid, lockdown, two-way hockey? Uh, can you dig in the corners? Can you win the battles? And, of course, can you take advantage of the uh, situations that are presented to you? That's it, ultimately. So whoever's going to come out on top and take and, and, and have more of those in their back pocket, chances are they are going to win. But uh, I'm very excited to, for tomorrow night's uh, Game 1 Stanley Cup Final, best of seven. It should wrap up by September the 29th, I believe. The schedule is already out, so fire up your internet machines and check out your schedules. There's only one back-to-back, which is uh, Game 5 and Game 6, if it, if it gets that far. But, uh, yeah, shaping up. The, the tournament started uh, well into the summer, and here we are. We're going to hand out the Stanley Cup at the end of September to a new Stanley Cup champion this year. I'm very excited, man. It's been a great tournament. Yeah, so am I. It's, you know, that, 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 that victory lap is going to be very short-lived for this team, which kind of sucks. But, hey, man, it's the era we live in. So Stanley Cup finals begin tomorrow night. Tampa, Dallas. Let's Let's see where it all ends up. So, Let's uh, let's move the ice to the field. And uh, speaking about, you know, predictions and getting shit out of the way and not knowing anything. I mean, week one in NFL football is always that case, right? You spend all offseason trying to figure it out. You figure out things from the, se- the season before, all the free agent moves, how teams drafted. Now you factor in all these other variables like COVID and some some stadiums have fans, some don't. Uh, it's it, it was a very interesting week one of football. Um, I'm bowing my head in shame and saying that my record for prediction on team wins was eight and eight, which is pathetic. Um, but then again, it's week one NFL and you never really know. So let's, uh, let's break down these, those games and see where, where it kind of leads into, into this week. Um, what is your biggest shock of week one? There were several, but what is the one that stands out in your mind? Wow. Okay. Biggest shock. Uh, well, listen, if you're, if you're asking me if I was shocked that the Washington football team defeated the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, I wasn't shocked at all. I even called you in the morning and I said, change your pick because injuries are a reality. And I don't care if you're uh, Peyton Manning in his prime, if you're missing three offensive line starters and your number one running back and your rookie wide receiver is dealing with a shoulder issue and you have no linebackers. Uh, yeah, you're going to lose that game. So as far as shock is concerned, uh, yeah, I wasn't really shocked for that. Uh, guess, ah, big shock. I don't know. Uh, Tom Brady realizing that he's not in New, that he's not in New England anymore. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that kind of shocked me a little bit. That, uh, I think reality just hit it in the face. Uh, another, another big shocker was, Cam Newton uh, finding the fountain of youth and looking like uh, his MVP season in New England right now. And if he stays healthy, uh, I think that the Patriots can continue to roll <laughs> as is. Um, as far as like big surprises, I don't know. You, you you can jump in over here. You can probably refresh my memory. Probably I've been punched in the head too many times. But uh, those are pretty much the examples that I have readily available. Well, I mean, I think the Bears stick out in mind first. I mean, you know, pulling that off late in the game, scoring 21 points in the fourth quarter, um, we never gave them a shot in hell. And doing that on the road for what it's worth in a stadium with no fans, you know, still, I, I think that was a huge, huge head turner. And, you know, albeit it's the Detroit Lions, but, you know, Detroit is, again, a team that should be good, and they're not, and they never were. <laughs> so, 
you know, it, it's location, but still, at the same time, you're talking about okay, Mitch Trubisky up pulling it off on the road. They would have lost that fucking game if fans were in the stands. Mitch Trubisky cannot deal with pressure in any way, shape, or form. Well, unfortunately, this is the new norm, right? This is the element. So similar to our discussion on somebody like Max Domi, who probably you know thrives better when there's fans in the arena because of the energy boost. We're going to see a lot of this shit in football, man. We're going to see guys that just go out and play fundamental football without that added pressure, and there's going to be a lot of head turners. And it leads me into my next shocker, which is a guy that, you know, kind of thrives off of fucking crowd enthusiasm and shit because he ate it up last year when he, he was given his chance. But Gardner Minshew, man, holy fuck. This guy came out of nowhere in front of fans, by the way, his own fans, and beat up a team like the Colts. And, you know, kind of ruined Philip Rivers coming out party in Indy. And I, I tip of the cap to Jacksonville. We, again, a team we gave no shot in hell to. They dumped everybody and then some came out and they looked like a fucking football team, man. They looked good. But also Philip Rivers looked old and those interceptions were hilarious at best. So, you know what? Starting off your drives on a short field and actually, uh, uh, on a shorter field and actually, uh, you know, uh, racking up points too at the same time. It, you know what? It's, it's a great confidence boost and everything, but it wasn't so much in my opinion that Jacksonville beat Indianapolis. It was Indianapolis beating themselves. And you know what? Whether it's a, you know, a new quarterback that's coming in, a 38 year old quarterback that's coming in who's adjusting to a new system and the new personnel minus a training camp too as well. Like, listen, in a lot of ways, you really got to favor the kids right now. Like Gardner Minshew, second year quarterback in the NFL. This kid is fucking too dumb to realize uh, pressure at this point. Just go out and play. You don't have Fournette. You don't have uh, uh, you don't have uh, Robinson. You don't have any of these guys that are the top flight offensive producers from years past for Jacksonville. You just got Minshew and a bunch of spares that are just trying to figure it out along the way. So I think that's all you need. Yeah, really, well, those spares are one and zero, and in the yeah. NFL, that's a big fucking deal, dude. So you know, again, tip of the cap to them, and you know, regardless if Indy lost that game or if if Jacksonville beat them, Jacksonville's one and zero, and Indy's zero and one. So you know, we'll yeah. see how it all plays out moving forward. But I really liked what I saw out of that team because, again, a team that has absolutely nothing to fucking prove to anybody because nobody gave them a shot in hell. And I think that there was a few other games that really were a little a little head turners that. That really made people start questioning, okay, well, how is this season gonna, gonna pan out, uh, amidst all of this yeah. other fucking variables? Yeah, like you're, you're mentioning it right now, like Arizona looks fucking good, dude. They look yeah. really offensively, like, wow, uh, Hopkins, a lot of people said, ah, oh, yeah, they're just giving this guy the money to be a decoy or something like that. Heavily involved inside the offense. Uh, two great running backs right now as far as the smash and bang between Kenyon Drake and, uh, and Chase Edmonds, too. Uh, defensively, wow, they did the job against, yes, a much maligned San Francisco 49ers team that's dealing with a plethora of injuries and kind of what we had predicted, a bit of a Super Bowl hangover. And here's a team that, without Debo Samuel, uh, George Kittle's not playing this week either. So it's, it doesn't look good so far for San Francisco, but good on, uh, good on Arizona for doing the job and, uh, and pulling that off. Were you surprised that the Cowboys are still the shit Cowboys? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I called it, dude. I told you, I'm not giving this team any fucking chance in hell. And, you know, the fact that they lost to the Rams, who may or may not be that team that, that kind of comes back and in, into the fold of being a contender or not, that's yet to be seen. But Dallas is Dallas. Uh, Dak threw for 266 and a touchdown. Elliott was shy of 100 yards. Cooper had 81 yards receiving. Their superstars did their job. 
the team failed. And the team did not score or do shit in the first or the fourth quarter. And L.A. was pretty consistent. And, you know, maybe it was L.A.'s fucking hype of a new stadium and all that other shit and, you know, Monday Night Football, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it. Again, Cowboys 0-1 because they're an overrated piece of shit fucking team and franchise. And once again, it's proven on the field. And I'm not shocked about that. I called L.A. I knew L.A. was going to fucking win that game. Um, I think Dallas is a joke this year. I think they were a joke last year. And once again, they're getting all this fucking attention and all this hype when they don't deserve it. Um, the other one that I really wanted to point out and discuss in detail was the was the Vikings and Packers game. And that game was a fucking shootout. And yeah, I think it, it, it took a lot of people by storm because, OK, look, granted, division game, blah, blah, blah. You, you never know what to expect in a division. But I thought Minnesota had a better defense than that. Green Bay fucking dissected them, man. 43 fucking points. Aaron Rodgers had 364 yards and four fucking touchdowns. I mean, it was surgery. It was precision surgery. And, you know, the Packers D didn't do that much better, but it was a shootout. And I guess Aaron Rodgers looked like Aaron Rodgers on paper, man. Well, you, you, you know, Rodgers always brings his A game, especially when it comes down to his divisional rivals. But I think the big thing that people need to mention, too, is that there have been some changes on the Minnesota defense uh, over the last year. Like, Everson Griffin is not there anymore. He's with Dallas. So they bring in and they trade for Yannick and Nagakwe. So obviously he needs to... Uh, acclimate himself to the system. Xavier Rhodes is not there anymore. He's in Indianapolis right now, and that was a key cog within their defense. He was their eyes and ears on the ground as well and always had played uh, great protection uh, in the secondary as well. Great coverage, rather, I should say. So here's, here's a guy who was obviously a mainstay on their team, one of their leaders, and was no longer there. So yeah, there's obviously going to be a little bit of that communication slash schism breakdown and every uh, and everything taking into account. And we've mentioned this many times where uh, teams have not had the benefit of a training camp to get that timing down, to get that awareness, to get that vision, uh, you know, up to snuff. So a lot of these teams that uh, are having this turnover right now are probably going to have to adjust on the fly as the season continues. So now, like, listen, week one, you're not going to push the panic button. The offense looked decent on the part of Minnesota, but uh, the offense rather looked uh, looked decent. Uh, uh, even without Stephon Diggs, it seems like Thielen was doing the job. Dalvin Cook was even more involved uh, than uh, than usual uh, for uh, just for this game in particular. But uh, if Cousins is just going to have to rely on Thielen and Cook, well, you're going to have to get the other guys involved too as well. So I don't feel that they've done, even though they put up points on the board, they didn't do enough to beat Green Bay. As far as the defense was concerned on Green Bay, uh, we kind of expected that. There wasn't really anything because we knew that Minnesota's team was going to put up points. Uh, surprised by the Green Bay offense? Well, listen, Rodgers has always been a mainstay. Uh, I think that him relying on his offensive weapons, not just Devontae Adams or Aaron Jones, and, uh, but uh, you know, uh, getting uh, Lazard uh, involved uh, in the game is key, and especially key going forward for this team, especially if the coverage is going to be focused primarily on yeah, Devontae Adams and, of course, Aaron Jones whenever they're going to be going up the middle. So, yeah, it was nice to see uh, Rodgers spread it around. And, hey, you know, they, they pulled off the victory on the road. And if this is going to have a nice ripple effect uh, in a positive direction, uh, you know what, for this team and everything is clicking, who knows? They could probably find themselves in the NFC Championship game again. Devontae Adams just absolutely fucking killed me in fantasy. Two two touchdowns, yeah. 156 yards, 14 receptions. He just couldn't stop, and Minnesota yeah. couldn't stop him. So 
we look at a, we look at this game and we look at the other NFC North matchup that took place. And this was, you know, I guess, one of two scenarios where the divisions were playing against each other in both in both cases, um, or all four teams in the division were playing against each other. But you look at a team like the Bears who pulled out a victory. Detroit's 0-1. Minnesota's 0-1. Chicago still isn't going anywhere. I don't care what anybody says. This isn't proof of anything that they're a good team. Uh, is this is this kind of a, a little breathing room for Green Bay to say, you know what, man, like the way things panned out in week one, we, we have the complete control of this division, at least through halfway point of the season. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be seeing the praises just yet. This is it's good to feel confident, but don't be arrogant because you still got another 15 games left to play and injuries are a reality. Opponents uh, catching by surprise are a reality and. Of course, living in this COVID bubble reality, too, as well. So the main thing is, is that develop your game plan, stick to your game plan, stay, uh, stay, stay healthy, injury-free, and uh, hopefully you're able to get positive yardage, move the ball up the field, and get into the head of your opponent. So you're coming in with the intimidation factor of having Aaron Rodgers, who is still, in my opinion, a top-five quarterback in this league. Uh, you know, like that's, uh, that's definitely a plus if the defense can continue to do the job and you know, uh, keep uh, keep the offense, uh, the uh, the opponent offense at bay, and uh, Rodgers has the flexibility and the protection to do his thing. Yeah, they're going to be more successful than not. But I wouldn't be walking around with a chip on your shoulder. They are. They they did make it to the NFC Championship game last year. Uh, they could very well return this year, but one game at a time. I wouldn't say breathing room right now because we're only looking at week two. Let's uh, let's. Let's talk about this in week eight and see where the Bears, the Lions, and the Vikings are at before they can start uh, taking it easy. Well, there could be a lot more breathing room done this week when, when the Packers face the Lions. So we'll see how that plays out, too. And, again, the other the other teams in that division have some work to do, and they need to keep, they need to keep pace on that. So let's talk about Cam Newton, man. Cam Newton's, uh, you know, return to, I guess, Cam Newton form. Um, didn't really have the greatest passing day, but he got the job done. He was running all over the place, and he did what he had to do. And it was, uh, again, proving that we know nothing. It was um, coaching, play calling, and execution masterpiece, albeit against a team like Miami, but that seems to be the MO of, you know, the last decade plus. Um, I think the Patriots looked good, man, and Cam looked good. And I think that if anybody's to give credit for what's happening here, uh, it's got to be Belichick. It's got to be the coaching staff. And it's got to be what they put on that field and how they adjusted their entire playbook uh, to fit the role of a guy like Cam and utilize his, 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 his attributes. And, you know, when you rush for 75 yards with two touchdowns and you throw for 155 yards, you know your playbook has changed since the Brady era. So tip of the cap to Belichick, albeit again against Miami. Miami didn't, you know, they weren't too far off towards the tail end of that game. They made it, they made it a football game. And, you know, that's when Belichick just kicked it in and he did what he does. But I think it's pretty cool to see Cam back in form. Um, I think that, you know, the league, the league kind of forgot about him, man. They kind of dismissed him. And I don't know what the true story behind all that is with the injuries and whatever, but, it's good to see a guy like that get another shot because he is a fucking phenomenal talent and he brings a lot to a football field that a lot of quarterbacks can't. So it's it's interesting to see that alignment with with a great coaching staff and and see it execute to to get a week one victory. Well, that's it. You know what, Cam Newton, his uh, his resume speaks for himself. You know, Super Bowl appearance, uh, former MVP. 
Uh, listen, coming into this year, we didn't know where he was at. But the fact remains is, is when he signed with the New England Patriots, we all collectively had an eyebrow, like our eyebrow was raised just a little bit. Like, okay, what is this all about? Because you know Belichick, he, like he won't make too many changes to his playbook, but if he can incorporate a, an element that he didn't have previously for the last 20 years with uh, with Tom Brady, like Tom Brady, he is a pure system quarterback, pocket, you know what you're going to get out of him, not many rushing yards or what have you. But now having this element in your arsenal right now, in Cam Newton, where you can essentially run the RPO on every play and create confusion on the part of the defense, wow, Belichick must be salivating. How many times did you see them run the RPO uh, uh, in the last game? About 30% of the plays were all RPO, whether he was going to be handing it off to Sonny Michel or dumping it off to, to, uh, to, to James White, or if he was actually going to be seeing uh, Edelman out in the slot, or if he was just going to run it out himself. And get those I, mean, I saw RPOs. I saw designed run plays. I saw things that uh, you could not execute with a guy like Brady. And exactly. that's what I mean about changing the playbook. And, you know, credit to McDaniels, too. I mean, you know, he, he has a big role in this offense and what, what's called out of it. But I think it's really cool to see that, you know, a, a, a big element with, with offensive play calling on an RPO system is giving the quarterback the confidence and the authority to make the right decisions. And week one, after no training camp, after, you know, going through whatever Cam has gone through, um, again, I, I, I'm going to reiterate the point. This is a former MVP of the league, okay? Right. You don't get that prestigious award by just fluke. This is a guy that has broken records at the quarterback level, at the quarterback rushing level, uh, touchdown level. Uh, I mean, he was a force, man, and that derailed last year. And yeah. it's really interesting to see that whole transformation of a powerhouse of a fucking dynasty team like New England and how they were able to adjust so fast and change their entire scope of offense in the blink of an eye for this one guy. Well, can I ask you, do you think the benefit of the schedule and drawing um, an opponent like Miami, who is, you know, they're, they're still a few years away from being competitive. Uh, let's call it that they're going through their transition right now, uh, Ryan Flores now, I think it's the second year as the head coach. And, uh, you know, they got a lot of good things coming in in the future. Like, But I, I just want to ask you, do you think that they would be, the Patriots would be as successful in running this style of a play against, you know, a already solidified defense like uh, the Baltimore Ravens, for instance? Do you think that they would, you know, implement this new thing right off the bat? Or was it just like the benefit of, playing Miami and, you know, trying out some new stuff and seeing whether it's going to stick or not. What do you think? I think that if you don't execute in football and if you do not get the necessary reps, you do not get better. So I think they would have executed the same game plan regardless on any other team. Now, will it have been as successful? That's a different question. I don't think that they would have a specific pocket-style playbook and quarterback uh, regimen against a team like Baltimore versus a, a team like like uh, Miami. I think that they've I think that it's in their advantage to completely shift and change their offensive mind state using the weapons that they have. And I think that we're going to see proof of that against a team like Seattle this week. Seattle has a good defense. They're playing in Seattle, so New England has to go across the country to the shit fire hellhole that is Seattle right now. Um 
And I think that it's going to be interesting to see, but I'm going to pay attention to see how many of these design play calls and RPOs and decisions that they put in Cam hands, uh, Cam's hand, uh, be, you know, as opposed to, you know, your traditional offensive playbook that you would typically see out of a team like New England. But I don't think they change, man. I think that it was a great, uh, advantage the fact that they faced a team like Miami and it allowed them to get more necessary reps to, to refine some of the things that they've, you know, tried to put in motion this year in a game scenario. But I think that their game plan is, is this moving forward, dude. I think they yeah. need to utilize their weapons. Well, I, I think that even having this opponent in Miami will get them prepared for what's coming this Sunday evening against the, uh, Seattle Seahawks. And that's uh, Sunday night at, uh, on NBC. So I'm, I'm very excited for that game because we want to see if now, if the momentum can continue and now on the road after the travel and they're only traveling now, I believe the day before they don't have the benefit anymore of traveling or getting into, you know, their destination or anything on a Friday, you know, okay, arrive Friday, you know, go through your pla- uh, planning on Saturday and then afterwards getting a good night rest and then you're, uh, you're, you're ready to go afterwards. So will that impact them or impede their success on the fields on the, uh, on a Sunday evening against Seattle, is that time to find out? But this is a very good uh, measuring stick game for this new Patriots team, especially with on the defensive side. Mostly, that's what I'm going to be looking at with uh, you know Hightower gone and Chong gone. Uh, you know, like wow, okay, this is like some uh, big name personnel that now needs to go up against Russell Wilson and that high powered offense. So this is it's gonna it, this is this is one of those games that really intrigue me. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it. So, hey, good, good on the Patriots, good on Cam Newton. Everyone likes a good story like that. And uh, we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday night. Yeah, we will. And I, I think this is going to really define the the change in 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 regime, right? Like the Patriots could beat a team like Miami. Cam Newton has a great game. You put everybody on your shoulders and say, you know, New England is the same team. But you face yeah. a team like Seattle that has been constantly building and building and getting better and better and, you know, snuck a Super Bowl in and should have won another Super Bowl against New England, but that was a bad play call. We all know that story. I think that this this literally could be a, a, a time that Seattle says, you know what, New England, it's been nice knowing you, man, but this is our time now. And I'm yeah. excited to see that game too. Yeah, me too. So speaking of tune-up games, um, Baltimore just completely disheveled fucking Cleveland. Um, made them look like a, a high school football team, not even a college football team. Cleveland is another fucking joke. And, you know, they're the Dallas Cowboys of the AFC, right? They got all this fucking hype. They got all these big names and, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're, they're just not a good football team. And, you know, the Baltimore Ravens showed the difference of fucking class that they are um, in that division, in this league, and, you know, just embarrassed the living shit out of everything Cleveland. Now, Cleveland came back last night against the fucking depleted and helpless Cincinnati Bengals team, um, but they still couldn't fucking control a rookie quarterback. Burroughs had a fucking great game. Yeah, you know what? Burroughs played well, but uh, just like going back, yeah, Baltimore against uh, Cleveland, uh, that was men against boys. Uh, We don't need to uh, relive that whole thing. Everything just fell apart for Cleveland, and Baltimore was just carrying on like they usually do. But, uh, you know, speaking of last night's game, uh, between uh, Cleveland and Cincinnati, a lot of respect to Joe Burrow. I'll give him that, uh, especially with you know th- this is my this is my favorite annual tradition in the NFL. You know, like the top-rated quarterback, all the talent in the world going to the worst shitball team, and then he needs to scramble and run for his life for the next two years 
as they build an O-line around them. Well, Joe Burrow, welcome to the NFL. So, like, based on what we had seen last night, this poor guy, man, like, he is pretty much left for dead. I will give him this, though. Um, I, we, I got to see exactly why Joe Burrow was drafted number one overall. Uh, if anything, obviously, he doesn't have the benefit of having an O-line and, you know, giving him that much-needed time to do his thing. But the vision on this kid, fantastic. Honestly, absolutely fantastic. There was something that happened, I believe, was in the second quarter. He was looking for... Uh, up the middle, I think it was one of the tight ends, uh, Uzumwa, this is before he got injured or something. He looked at him first, and I think he noticed right at the last second the safety that was just dropping into coverage from the other side of the field, and then made the quick decision to just simply throw the ball away, overthrow A.J. Green, which was his second uh, option over there. Very, very good play on his on his end, because a lot of times these young quarterbacks, if they would just okay, uh, we want you to get it up the middle, get it to the first down and everything. They'll force that play. We've seen that all the time, man. We see it out of guys like Trubisky over the years and stuff like that. But you didn't get to see that out of Joe Burrow. So you know what? It's unfortunate that he is there in, like, the second worst place in the NFL, which is Cincinnati, Ohio, right next to Cleveland, Ohio. But damn, man, you know, like, this kid has he, – he has the vision. He's still, he's still raw as far as the talent is concerned. But I really respect his decision-making process, even despite the fact that they lost the game and he was in quicksand. But uh, still, like, you got to respect the fact when a QB, especially a young QB, and you can tell right off the bat he's making the right decisions now. And this will have a nice, a nice ripple effect in the future because you want to play for a guy like that. You want to play for a guy that's not going to – who's not going to get you down behind. You know, he is going to be the asset and the positivity moving you forward. He's not going to bring you back. So, you know, like, yeah, for the next little while, I think that the big focus would have to be on repairing that O-line and getting him uh, some much-needed reinforcements. And even for the run game, too, man, poor Joe Mixon, this guy has been uh, virtually non-existent uh, this season. And they really need to get that, uh, that, that running game down so that it can give Joe Burrow the flexibility to get the ball out to your A.J. Greens and your Tyler Boyd. So, Listen, it's going to be a work in progress, but uh, I, I strongly believe that Cincinnati didn't make the right pick in getting Joe Burrow when they uh, when they had the chance. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, they had to move on from Dalton, man. I mean, you know, and again, credit to Dalton. I mean, you know, I just never thought that – I always thought the biggest problem in Cincinnati was coaching, and they stuck yeah. with Lewis for far too fucking long, and we've mm-hmm. had this discussion on several occasions. But look, man, in addition to, you know, Burrow's uh, decision-making – I think that a bigger asset that a lot of teams just aren't, I guess, accepting at this point, he's not just a a pocket quarterback. The guy has wheels, man, and he's a running threat too. And when you throw for a 1,000 fucking touchdowns in your final year in college, that gets overlooked. But we saw actually designed run calls and designed running plays that were just straight up running for the quarterback, uh, straight up the middle. I think in, was it game one he had a rushing touchdown? He did, I think that that's going to be an element to his game that he's going to have to perfect while running for his life. And, you know, again, all we're looking for here is progression. What I really feel bad for is a guy like A.J. Green, who was a powerhouse in this league, had a horrible injury, and, you know, he's kind of he's kind of hey. easing his way back in. And I think that he, you know, this is his opportunity to build that rapport with a guy like Burrow and, you know, develop him faster. And, you know, make that team um, uh, 
a target for some top quality free agents, particularly on the O line and, and help build those pieces accordingly. But I think that green needs to make better decisions, better routes. I didn't see the best routes out of him. I mean, this was a guy that, you know, every time he was heading towards the corner of the end zone, you knew that was going to be a touchdown. So that's something that has to happen with time. I think Burrow's the right guy to build that relationship with. Um, but you know, again, it's not going to be an easy road for them this year. That's for damn sure. But again, I don't give any credit to Cleveland. I think that Cleveland, um, is still a shit team and beating up a shit team doesn't make you a good team. So oh, yeah. they got I a agree. lot to prove this year. I agree. But just to, uh, just to continue on with your AJ Green point, like the, up until this year, AJ Green hadn't played a game since December 2018. So, like, now that he's in, he's already has, uh, like, two games under his belt here for the 2020 season. Yeah, it's, he's looking a little robotic. You know, he doesn't, doesn't have that same, that same zip, uh, or, or vision. So I don't know if it's because of that, that long layoff where he didn't play all of last season and he was at the, and he was injured at the end of the, uh, the previous season as well. So he's been, he spent a lot of time not, uh, not playing the game. Uh, especially against, you know, like an opponent or, or, or anything of that sort. So I don't know, like I'm, I'm rooting for AJ Green, uh, but honestly not impressed from what I've seen thus far out of him. And who knows? Like I, I wonder if he still has anything left in, in the tank and he's just, you know, shaking off some, uh, some field rust right now and he's trying to get back into the groove, but it just, it didn't look right, Mike. It didn't look right. It just looked like a guy who, you know, has been dealing with injuries and is probably a little apprehensive to go full throttle right now. So maybe you just need to get through that mental block where we have heard stories like that as far as, you know, a lot of players that uh, have come come back from, you know, career-threatening injuries and they just want to, you know, take it easy, ease themselves back in and not try to do anything too strenuous as, uh, uh, you know, as they evolve and as they adjust. So who knows, you know, but definitely if they can get A.J. Green, the A.J. Green back in full action at 100%, It'll definitely help Joe Burrow and his uh, uh, and uh, and his path through the NFL, at least for this year. Maybe even next year if they decide to keep AJ. But uh, I don't know. But it's uh, it's a point of concern for me for AJ. Yeah, it is. I mean, look, I have no a uh, guy with that talent. I'm not going to you know put too much weight on two games after not playing for almost you know two years. So you know, look, he'll he'll find his groove. He'll find his rhythm. I mean, this isn't going to be a shattering year for him, and I don't think he needs it to be either. I think you're right. This is a year where he has the ability to adjust with a new quarterback, just make his his presence known enough to be back with the team next year, um, and then go from there. Because nobody wants to hit the free agent market after uh, sitting out almost two years and coming back and having a shit season. I mean, yeah. too many people are going to tell you you're washed up, you're not worth it, blah blah blah. So he has some work to do to make make you know to maintain his his future career path in this league, whether it's with Cincinnati or not. So. We saw some uh, some exciting things out of out of Vegas, uh, the newest uh, you know team toy in the NFL, I guess you can call it. But um, Carr, you know, is what he is. Jacobs looked phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, this new kid Rugs looked good until he got he got hurt a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows what's going to happen with that? Carolina is exactly what we had said. They're a great team. They're just kind of in the unfortunate position of being in the hardest division. I think they're going to give teams like, you know, that come in outside that division a fucking huge headache like 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 they did to Vegas. It was good to see Vegas get the victory and head into their home opener and stadium opener and 
you know, me watching my seat from my couch, you know, 3000 miles away. Um, <laughs> I think it's a nice confident boost, man, to, to, to have that home team, you know, that home opener on Monday night this week be, uh, be up one and oh, but they're facing a, a fucking powerhouse, man. The Saints are no joke. And, you know, before we, we get into the Raiders and everything, I really want to dissect what we thought was going to probably be the best game in the, in, in, in the league last week and uh, see what happened with that. So Brady, new team, Tampa, completely new team, Saints, same old team and they win. That's what they do. So what are your, what's your take on that game? I don't know. It seemed like, uh, Brady, uh, like, you know, deer caught in the headlights, you know, just trying to, you know, familiarize himself with his new surroundings and, and what have you. But, uh, like what really got to me at the end of the game was like the post game comments from, uh, from Arians and everything. And I wouldn't necessarily say that he threw him under the bus or anything, but good on Arians for keeping him accountable and saying, listen, there was a lot of mistakes that Tom Brady made in that game. And I don't know if it was because of, you know, new system, new surroundings, new personnel or anything, uh, or just trying to get into the groove or, or what have you. But, you know, like, uh, I, I really can't quantify it other than the fact that you already had an established team like New Orleans. And I know that the big hype coming in for Tampa Bay was all these great Tom Brady and Gronk. And now they brought in Fournette. And these are all names. These are all great names and everything. Can they work within a new system, a new coaching style, a new offensive line? You know, and obviously you got to trust on your defense as well because I don't see Don Brady uh, dropping back in coverage and uh, for the quarterback anytime soon. So he only represents his one element. But it was just one of those things where, you know, I, I, I give it to Sean Payton. He coached a very good game um, on his end and just, you know, like they, they, they just stuck with their fundamentals and, and, and Breeze uh, came in, he did, he did the job the best that he could. What really concerns me is them losing Michael Thomas now for an extended stretch. And they're saying that he's going to be out for a while. So how they're going to continue rolling with your Emmanuel Sanders now is potentially your number one. Uh, how more, how much more involved is Taysom Hill going to be? Uh, how much are they going to have to adapt the offense? So, well, that remains to be seen, especially when they're going to be playing the Raiders uh, on Monday night. But against Tampa, it was just, I didn't like the body language. Uh, it just seemed, it, it just didn't seem like this was normal for Tom, right? You know, like it just seemed he was not, you know, like, ah, you're the new kid in school. Well, guess what? Now you know that you're the new kid in school. So now you gotta, you gotta play according to this. You gotta adapt a little bit and don't put yourself into any kind of peril or like, any kind of situations because the turnovers, man, they look bad. They look absolutely bad. Now, can can they go and be professionals and pull themselves up and, and 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 make a season out of this? Well, listen, it's only one game, but I think the reality has hit him now that uh, hey, buddy, you you don't have that that safety net in uh, McDaniel's anymore. You don't have that safety net in Belichick anymore. It's a completely new team, a new regime, and you're gonna have to roll with it because you wanted to have fun, right, baby? You want, are you having fun? Because it looks like Belichick is having fun. Ah, uh, whatever. Look, it's one week. And again, I, as, 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 as bad or as, as not Brady-like as Brady played, uh, you know, listen, man, he did make a lot of mistakes. And frankly, I would perf, and, and I know Brady's a huge competitor and he's a, he's the, he's his own biggest critic when it comes to this shit. As many, as much success as that guy has had, and we've had, uh, we've been so, privileged i guess of watching a fucking guy like that explode onto the scene in this league and have so much consistent success 
whatever elements around him, I agree. That's a huge component of it. But the guy still had to execute and get the job done, and he's done that consistently year after year. So in a position like this where he made mistakes, I'm ecstatic that Arians called him out on it. And I think if you want to put things into perspective, look at the difference between that scenario where you have this superstar fucking quarterback with this, I guess, resume 10 miles long, this coach who's a great coach, got run out of Indy, did some damage in Arizona, and found himself in Tampa, calling you out and saying, look, man, this isn't the game plan we decided to execute. You fucked up. You made the mistakes. And having people say, well, you can't talk like that to Brady. The fuck he can't. It's his job to do that. It's his job to tell his guys that he that they need to be held accountable for their mistakes. And I think if you want to put things into perspective, look at exactly what happened in Dallas. Did Mike McCarthy do that for Dak Prescott? No. Yeah, because he's the one who fucked up. Come on, dude. Like, I know that we can get into that, but we are going to get into Dallas probably a little bit more or something. But as far as it goes with, like, I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you. I know that you say that Tom Brady he's his own harshest critic and everything like that. I'm going to say he's just the second most harshest critic. Because you know who the harshest critic was, realistically, and it was behind the scenes? It was Bill Belichick. Like, that's it. So, as much as Belichick, after post-game, whether they win, whether they lose or anything, he stays with it. Uh, monotone, all this. He always talks about the team, as far as the team executing. The team executing in this situation, or in that situation. Or, or regardless of whatever it was, he will never openly point the finger at someone in public. Behind the scenes, it's a different story, and we've heard the horror stories as far as you know, uh, uh, training camp, looking at tape and everything. Man, Belichick would ruin Brady, ruin him, but that was behind closed doors. Now, this was all part of the plan for Arians to be, or it's like Arians and Brady had a conversation. It's just like Brady tells him, yeah. Uh, blame me. Blame me 100%. Okay, cool. Just get it out there. I'll take ownership of it. All right, that's a part of the plan. But this wasn't part of the plan, and Arians is just going to go off and basically say, ah, it was his fault. That was the guy. Go talk to him or anything. And Tom Brady now, whether he's going to take it or he doesn't or anything, you don't want the seeds of dissent or anything like that, you know, being cultivated already within week one. So, listen, Brady's in a position right now. He doesn't have to play. He's playing for the fun of it. He wanted to have fun. Well, go have fun. Like, that's Look, it. Matt, that's I, I, let's not forget. It was a good game. Okay? I mean, yeah. he didn't play horrible. He had two no, fucking touchdowns. He didn't do enough to win. You didn't he do did enough. not he do enough to win is right. And well, that's the team element. But here's the thing that I tried to point out to you last week. Okay? The New Orleans Saints are still the class of that division. Yeah, agreed. And we both agree when we put them, they said they're going to win the division this year. Now we'll see how it goes without Michael Thomas, but still you want to, you're obviously going to favor the established team with the established offense and the established coaching versus now this, this newfangled super team. Well, that's, that, that's really where the storyline takes a detour, right? Cause everybody's talking about this new shiny thing, right? Brady, new team, blah, blah, blah. All these fucking names that ended up in Tampa. Well, they haven't had the opportunity to gel. And the Saints are still the Saints, man. And, you know, this is a team that won how many games last year without Drew Brees? How many games? Oh, yeah, they won all five. They won all five last year. They won all five games without quite possibly and arguably the best statistic quarterback in NFL history. Think about that. This is a team. 
This isn't this isn't Breeze. This isn't Brady. This is a football team. And I think that they are still the class of that division. And I think they're going to keep turning heads and proving that until Tampa either gets their shit together and fi- figures out that they need a team element and not Brady to make sure that they can, they can dethrone that, that, that type of team. But I'll tell you this. If Tampa plays like they did against the Saints, against a team like Atlanta or against a team like Carolina, I'm not, I'm not so confident that Tampa is going to win those games at this point. But I think that a guy like Brady, and I, I, I still think he's his own harshest critic. You know, a, a guy like Brady is like a guy like uh, Manning, right? It's a coach on the field. They're very intelligent uh, quarterbacks. They know the game so well. Sometimes it works in, in their disadvantage that it, how well they know the game. Executing is a completely different element. And if that's if execution is really the fundamental problem here, I think a guy like Brady can make the necessary adjustments and really shock a lot of people this week. So I think that Tampa is in no way, shape, or form in trouble. They lost to the class of that division. And I think that if they can take anything away from it, they got their first taste of what the NFC South looks like um, with this whole new revamp system that that they've kind of melded together this year. Hey, Mike, if they're going to take this as a learning lesson and it's going to have a positive effect on them, great. For me, I'm just going with the body language on the field, the post-game press, uh, press conference comments and everything, and how's Brady going to respond to it? Because, listen, man, this guy doesn't need the money. He's not hustling over here. He can literally leave tomorrow and he'll be just fine or anything. So, at the end of the day, what is it exactly his motivation over here? Does he want to play to win? Yes, I would, I would have to agree. But now that, okay, the, the reality has set in that you ain't in Kansas anymore or New England anymore and you need to adapt to this new thing, how is he going to react to it? Well, I am looking forward to that game, uh, his, his second appearance as the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, quarterback, and uh, we'll see what happens. But chances are if, he, uh, if he's going to take this and it's going to motivate him, well, now if you have uh, Tom Brady in your fantasy football uh uh, pool and in, in, in fantasy and everything, you better start him this week because who knows? You might get four touchdown, 250-yard passing Tom Brady this week. It might happen. They're all pass downs to Rojo. Yeah, right. Okay. It's probably going to be uh, uh, half an injured Mike Evans, the other half injured uh, Godwin, and uh, the uh, the new upstart, Scotty Miller. That's it. That's the guy. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of teams that – uh you know, they picked up where they left off last year, Seattle, Baltimore, Kansas City. Um, right. You know, a couple teams got some pieces back, and, you know, they didn't look too good, but they got the job done, and Pittsburgh sticks out in mind. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Roethlisberger didn't look good at all. Um, oh, they got dude, it's like, it's, like watching, it's, it's like watching the Tin Man with an arm. Like, his arm was great. Everything else, man, it was, <laughs> it was like watching a mannequin come to life. Yeah, well, he still scored. He had three touchdowns, man. I mean, he didn't do horrible, but against a team like New York, you got to – if this was a rink-rust game for him, good for him. He got the win. That's his job. Yeah, exactly. But, man, he just looked like – it looked like his body – but it, it just looked like his body was just going to, like, shut down at one point. Like, he's held together by tape. <laughs> yeah. And he's played a lot of hard football. We know. We know. We've seen it. uh Wow, like this guy's been around since, uh, what, 2003, 2002 or something? 
fuck, man, it's been a long time for this guy. So, like, listen, it's definitely age and injuries are, are catching up with this guy. But still, if he can still find a way to get it done, that's that's been Ben Roethlisberger's entire career. Just when you thought that this guy was going to get sacked or he was going to get picked or something, he makes it happen. He's just one of those guys that very unorthodox in in his performance. But shit. You know, he's made a career out of that. And he's won two Super Bowls out of that. And uh, was he a Super Bowl MVP too? I don't remember. But, like, listen, he's he's put together a brilliant uh, Hall of Fame-esque career, in my opinion. And uh, just by doing that, by just, like, uh, having that never-say-die attitude. So they're going to need it, especially uh, with James Conner and his, uh, his ankle right now and uh, them missing the right tackle uh, who's out for the season and, yeah, it's it's not going to get any easier for Big Ben, so he's going to uh, have to. Their, their job is to stay as close to Baltimore as they possibly can and try to lock up one of those wild card slots. If they could sneak out one of those one of those games against Baltimore and and make something out of it towards the tail end of the season, so be it. But I think their focus needs to be on winning winnable games, and that includes the four games that they're going to have between Cleveland and Cincinnati, and that's that's another four victories right there. They seem to have a pretty soft schedule. They're facing the NFC East, um, which is shit times yeah. four. Um, you know, they've already locked up one of those games and they got four games against, you know, Cleveland and Cincinnati. So I think that their schedule is pretty favorable for them to, to win, win or to have winnable games. They just need to win those games. And I still like Tomlin. I think Tomlin's one of the best coaches this league has seen in a long time. Uh, consistently play calling. I think he manages his room very well. And, you know, again, Pittsburgh has historically had that relationship with their head coaches, which I think is an element in football that has gone by the wayside. So it's really good to see that, you know, what he's still doing is still pumping out wins. And that's that's what that franchise is all about. So uh, good for them. Good for them to beat up a shit team in my Giants. Daniel Jones did not look good. Um, You know, I didn't think he looked good anyway. Slayton, you know, he did what he had to do. But this is a team that's. You know, it's got so many fucking holes, man. You put your finger in one, the damn leaks from 16 other ones. So, you know, I don't I don't know what to expect from either team in New York. Um, you know, I, I, the, the Jets just look like shit. Um, I thought Buffalo could have easily exploited them a lot more than they could than they did. Um, their rushing game was kind of, you know, their rushing game didn't look too good. Le'Veon Bell obviously got hurt. I thought Diggs could have had a better game. Allen could have had a better game. Sam Darnold looked like shit. I mean, he looked like absolute dog shit. Um, you know, my favorite Jets joke ever is uh, the team posted uh, a post on Instagram one day or something before the season started, like five years ago, and it said, you know, it's first and goal on the one-yard line, and the game's in the line. What do you do? And the first comment that popped up was, punt. Punt. <laughs> <laughs> Just save yourself the embarrassment and kick it away. Yeah, like listen, it's uh, the Jets are gonna jet <laughs> the goddamn Jets. So like we all we, we know the situation over there with Adam Gase and the guy who's been heralded as an offensive genius and stuff like that. Well, I don't think you got the memo, you know, like since <laughs> getting out of since, since leaving uh, Chicago as the offensive coordinator, going to Miami, getting booted the fuck out of there, and now going to the Jets and. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a personality thing, but it just seems like there's a lot of people pissed off at this guy. Jamal Adams wanted to get the fuck out of Dodge. LeVeon Bell and his relationship with Gates has been dicey. 
Uh, they're just ruining the fuck out of Darnold because I think that Darnold is actually a capable quarterback. They're just not playing to his positives right now. Here's a guy, in my opinion, we get the best out of Darnold when he's under pressure and he's on the run and everything. So they're trying to keep this guy contained in the pocket as much as possible. And we're talking about now the change in the direction as far as these quarterbacks, that they need to be fluid, that they need to move in and out of the pocket, that they need to have designed rushing plays for them. The most success that this guy has had over the years was fucking making plays out of the pocket on the run. Not running when rushing, but running and passing. He was fucking hitting everybody, whether it be Crowder, whether it be Robbie Anderson, who's now in Carolina and stuff like that. And they're not allowing him to do that. So I honestly believe now, <laughs> like now's the time for the Jets to really move away from Adam Gates because you're hurting this fucking kid. You really are. Like you haven't seen the best out of him. Because I'm sorry, it's the coaching and the play calling that's fucking killing this kid. The kid has the kid has the talent. He really does. But you're you're talking about a team now. Le'Veon, forget it. He's done. Uh, o line is meh. Defense is even meh at this point. So I don't see much out of the fucking Jets. Same thing when I see out of the Giants. Like you got a good collection of guys, but Saquon Barkley only getting six, six uh, rushing yards on 15 touches. Get the fuck out of here. You know, like that's not just on Saquon. It's the fact that dude, you're, the Giants have no O line. That's it. So it really doesn't matter. You got to fucking Barry Sanders and Saquon in the fucking backfield. They're not gaining shit, you know, and, uh, and same thing. It's just, you know, like a team that's just really missing some uh, hot, like top tier personnel and difference makers in order to get it done. So good on Slayton for getting those two touchdowns. Hey, great. If you, you got him in fantasy, good for you and everything. A lot of garbage time points, but I don't see much out of them. Any of the New York teams this year, man, other than Buffalo, you know, Buffalo, all right, okay, you know, they, they, they had a decent game. Uh, could they have done more? Sure, but listen, at the end of the day, they, they won the game, and Josh Allen was doing Josh Allen things, and he was rushing for, like, what, 60, 70 yards? Uh, two touchdown passes, I believe, and I think Zach Moss got, in, uh, got involved. Or, uh, yeah, and um, yeah, and, I, and Allen had the rushing, uh, rushing touchdown, too, as well. So it's status quo for him. You know, the, the, the big issue with Josh Allen was uh, his accuracy and everything. And I, who knows? Maybe he's, he's going to get rid of that this year now that he has a high-powered weapon in Stephon Diggs. But, listen, it wasn't uh, spectacular, but uh, it was doable from what I've seen. Out of and they're going to have another tune-up game this week against Miami. And yeah. you know, it's 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 going to be it's going to be nice to see a team like that go, you know, potentially go 2-0. and um, and, you know, really give New England a run for their money and whatever, you know, they're putting together up there. So, um, you know, the one team that I think has the shortest end of the stick so far in the, in the first two weeks is Houston. And, you know, they had to open the season against the defending Super Bowl champions. And now they face Baltimore, man. Uh, literally the same type of team. And, you know, it's, it's not, I don't want to say that they looked horrible against Kansas City. It's just, you know, Kansas City's a, a great team, man. I mean, they did everything that Kansas City could do. I mean, you know, Andy Reid called the fucking game through a steam room. So, you know, it, it uh, I, I don't see, I don't see Houston coming out of this with anything less than an 0-2 record in the first two weeks. But I don't think that's going to pave the way for their, you know, their season. And I think that if they get these two games out of the way, um, you know, they can they can turn it around pretty quickly in week three, particularly with whatever else happened in that division. I mean, you know, Tennessee, they squeaked one out against 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 Denver. They did what they had to do. But that's how a team like that wins. Right. Tannehill's not going to light the house on fire. Henry's good for 100 yards. They just win the game. 
Um, and I think that Indianapolis losing gives an advantage to Houston to, to stay in the thick of things. So I don't expect much from them in this, in this game, maybe a shootout type of game. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, you know, do, do you, what do you think about Houston and, and where they're going to end up after this week? I think Bill O'Brien's getting fired by the, uh, three quarter way point of this season and everything. He really, uh, doubled and tripled down last week by just fucking sticking to the run against Kansas City. And granted, okay, David Johnson looked good, but come on, man. You really can't wear and tear this guy. You already have Duke Johnson who's going to be injured or who's going to miss a couple of weeks now with, uh, with his sprained ankle. So I don't know how much juice David Johnson has left. And I think that the whole point of this season is to is for Bill O'Brien to demonstrate that he was in the right, that he needed to go, and he needed to get a David Johnson-type player when he could have easily picked up Todd Gurley or Leonard Fournette off of free agency, but opted not to uh, at this stage. You just signed uh, Deshaun Watson to this fucking amazing contract, and what are you doing for him? And you're taking away his weapons and everything. So we're going to see a lot of hubris on the part of uh, Bill O'Brien this year. And listen, if he's not going to involve his play calling or his schemes or anything, dude, this guy's going to get booted onto the street so fast, so fucking fast. Honestly, yes, you went up against the defending Super Bowl champions. You made it easy for them, in my opinion. It's just based on these basic play callings. Now you're going to go up against Baltimore. They're going to kick your fucking head in. That's exactly what's going to happen. They're going to make an example out of you because – Dude, over the last couple of years, this team has fucked up. They fucked up royally and everything. The amount of talent that they let, that they either uh, let go or traded for no reason versus the talent that they did bring in. Like, okay, great. Laramie Tunsil. Hey, fantastic. You guys needed a left tackle. Well, then he had you over a barrel and he, and you had to pay him and make him the highest paid left tackle in the game. Is he deserving of being the highest paid left tackle in the game? Not in my opinion. Maybe, maybe within like the top seven or something. But as far as the number one, no. So, you know, like he, he made tough decisions, but he made the wrong tough decisions. And we'll always go back to the whole J.J. Watt thing. I will always go back to that. You know, like that's what it is. So this team is going to suck the cock for the next little while. And I, and I strongly believe that O'Brien, the, the clock is ticking on him because, dude, this is bullshit. It's really bullshit. Ah, we'll see, man. We'll see. They got a they they got a really tough road, man. I'm looking at their schedule now. They got a they got a really tough schedule this year. So you know what uh, help? Help, Mike. DeAndre Hopkins. That's who. I agree with you, man. Look, I didn't think that that was a right move when it happened. I couldn't believe it when I saw it actually. And you know, I I, I we could sit here and cry over spilled milk, but the game the game really still has to get played. And if O'Brien is going to be the scapegoat for what they got to deal with, then so be it. But you know. <laughs> I, Deservedly so. He's making these trades for no fucking reason. Like, why? What was the point? You had a top three wide receiver to go after a fucking guy who was running like he had a piano on his back last year? For what purpose? It made no sense. It made absolutely no sense. I don't disagree with you. I think that you took away the biggest weapon and the reason why you gave your quarterback that type of contract. Exactly. So they should have just cut J.J. Watt. Sorry, but we got to do this for business. You retain... Uh, Hopkins, you sign fucking Watt, uh, Watson to that big money deal, and then you go and fill in the blanks with a Fournette or a Gurley or something like that off the street. It's not that hard, man. Not that fucking hard. But whatever. Uh, they know better than me, apparently. Well, the decision was made. So, all right. Well, let's uh, let's let's kind of hit pause here, man. We got a, we got a lot done this this segment. We 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 you know we got a lot to look forward to with the Stanley Cup Finals now 
heading underway starting tomorrow and, you know, obviously week two. Uh, give me a game in week two that you're excited about other than some of the ones that we discussed. I don't know. Like, for me, it's just, you know, Seattle, New England. I'm, I'm really intrigued about that game. Uh, more so because, yes, I got Russell Wilson in my fantasy team, but I want to see Cam, uh, that offense on the road against a formidable foe in Seattle as far as their defense is concerned. And I want to see New England's defense against Seattle's offense as well. And I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm very intrigued to see in what direction both the AFC East and the NFC, uh, yeah, the N, yeah, sorry. Uh, I just want to see what kind of a direction that the AFC East and the New England Patriots and the NFC West and the Seattle Seahawks and what direction that they're going to be taking on their respective paths. Well, my game is going to be Vegas, man. I'm excited to see it. I'm always excited to see a new team and a new stadium. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a different element that's, that's brought to the field. Sucks. There's no fans, but it is what it is. And, you know, Las Vegas, you got yourself a football team and, you know, lights turn on, on, on Monday night football. So we'll see how that all plays out. I'm excited to see those doors open. I'm excited to see what the Saints look like without a guy like Thomas, you know, for my fantasy team purposes as well. I hope Cook becomes a huge component in their offense, even more so. Um, and, you know, we'll just keep the keep the train moving forward, man. But, again, I think week three is always the deciding factor, right? You get a, you get the rust out of the way the first two weeks, and then week three really starts having that, that, that divide on what teams are looking like to shape up for the, for the course of the rest of the season, or at least the first half of the season. So we'll uh, we'll hit pause on this one now, man. And uh, we got a lot to look forward to with hockey with hockey starting tomorrow. Week week two already underway, but officially in full blaze on Sunday afternoon. Um, you know, as always, your team suck. You know, Philly especially. I mean, fuck me, man. They look horrible, and they're going zero two this week too. I called it. I called it. I told you, man. I told you last week. I said they're going to lose. Yeah, at some point I want to break down with you whether they should have gotten rid of Wentz and kept Foles, but we'll get into that next segment. Maybe, you know, as an 0-2 team, you'll have a different opinion on that. So, anyway, go uh, go enjoy the weekend. Um, happy anniversary, you know, uh, for, you. for those of you who don't know. Um, it's your anniversary to your amazing and star-studded wife who is accomplished on so many different levels um, and a huge football fan, too. So tell her her team suck. Uh, your team suck and uh, you know enjoy the weekend enjoy week two and enjoy the Stanley Cup finals everybody definitely my man thank you very much everyone enjoy the weekend